Hey, good evening. This is James. I'm so glad you're here. I apologize. I just, I got out of the routine of doing the, the podcast and I kept putting it off. And of course, last weekend I went on this massive road trip. I went all the way from here in Texas to Oklahoma to Kansas to Nebraska to Iowa to Missouri, then down to Arkansas, and then back to Oklahoma, and then back here. And so, I mean, it was a lot of fun and all, but I just have been neglectful of the podcast, and, and I truly apologize. Um, especially considering what we're about to talk about. Um, the Crusades are one of the most... Uh, uh, controversial subjects that you could talk about. And I think, you know, we're, I mean, we're briefly going to cover this chapter in Nick Needham's book, but the main thing that we're going to talk about is the why. Um, if you've listened to the other four, you know that the the Muslim armies captured a lot of North Africa, uh, the area that we now know as Jerusalem or Israel. When they were into um, Spain, parts of Europe. But I, I find it fascinating that nobody ever talks about that. You know, it's like the you know people try to look. People, modern people try to look down upon the Crusaders as like, oh, how could you do that in the name of Christianity? And but I never hear anybody say, well, how could you Muslims conquer Egypt and Libya and northern Africa and is the area of Palestine, which we now know as Israel and Spain and how could you do that in the name of your religion? And it's like, it goes both ways. I mean, human beings have a dark side. We all want power. We all want to be in control. But I think there's more to it when it comes to the Crusades. <laughs> and as I was reading through this chapter, um, I think there was a something that was a tipping point because obviously the area we now know as Israel had been controlled by Muslims for like 300 years before the Crusades took place. I want to say two to 300 years, somewhere in there, but it'd been a long time. They had been in charge of that area for a very long time, but yet Christian pilgrims, you know, made that journey to Jerusalem every year. So what happened? So let's talk about it. The first crusade took place from 1096 to 1099. The second one was from 1147 to 1149. The third one was from 1189 to 1192. 
and the fourth crusade was from 1202 to 1204. Now, Nick rightly points out the fact that there had been a lot of warfare between Christians and Muslims before the crusades, and the Byzantine Empire um, was not <coughs> in good shape when uh, Muslims defeated them. Um, causes of the crusade. Uh, it's said that Alexis I um, was the great Byzantine Empire emperor that uh, kind of triggered the crusades. In 1094, Alexis appealed to Pope Urban II uh, for help in fighting um, Seljuk, I think, S-E-L-J-U-K, Turks. The Turks are the new rulers of the Muslim world in the east had decisively beaten the Byzantines in the Battle of Mazakert in 1071 and conquered the bulk of Asia Minor. Now, here's what I'm talking about. Um, page 201. Until the Seljuk Turks took control in 1055, the Muslim rulers of the Holy Land had always treated Christian pilgrims well. The Turks, by contrast, treated them badly. Western pilgrims came back from Palestine and filled Europe with terrible stories of Turkish hostility and persecution. Catholic Europe was outraged. In addition, there was growing feeling in the West this time that the forces of Christianity could defeat and expel the Muslims from the Christian lands they had conquered. Under King Ferdinand I of Castile, the Christian reconquest of Muslim Spain had begun, which Spanish Catholics regarded as a crusade in their own land. Between 1060 and 1090, the Catholic Normans of southern Italy destroyed Muslim power in Sicily. Perhaps it seemed natural to continue the successful drive into Islam, against Islam into the east. Now, of course, Pope Urban II had his own motivation. Urban thought that the way to defeat Henry and his rival Pope was and so secure the victory of the Hildebrand. Brandine reform movement was to make himself the leader of a great popular cause. So, you had a couple different things going on here. You had a pope who was interested in getting power. You had, <coughs> excuse me, these people that were just trying to make a pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem that were being mistreated. For a couple hundred years, they had had safe travel to Jerusalem. Um, they did what they needed to do. Probably spent some money while they were there. I mean, think about it. You know, nowadays, if you go, if you go to see a famous place like the Grand Canyon, or uh, um, I can't think of the. Uh, Mount Rushmore or anything like that, you know, there's always going to be, you know, gift shop and other things like that. You know, people trying to sell <coughs> stuff. Um, I mean, back then they sold relics. I mean, how many people claim to have pieces of wood that were originally a part of Jesus's cross? You know, so... Why the shift took place, we don't know. Um, my gut feeling was that 
for a long time, the, the Muslims that were in charge of Palestine looked at the Christians coming in and making their pilgrims pilgrimage once a year as a money-making opportunity. But that's just a theory. Um, it's interesting, though, the, the knights that went on the Crusades, you know, they're like modern soldiers. They want to fight. Uh, when I was uh, a soldier and not the first time around in the 1990s, but the second time around in 2005, you know, we were at war with Iraq and there were guys in my unit that wanted to go and fight and they wanted to, <coughs> excuse me, you know, they wanted their combat action badge and, you know, they wanted to put bullets in people. So, on page 203, uh, Nick Needham says this, In these ways, then, the Catholic Church tried to Christianize the Knights of Western Europe. The Crusades provided a great outlet for the energies of these Christian warriors. By attacking the Muslims and freeing the Holy Land, they were doing the thing they enjoyed most, fighting, and also fulfilling the great spiritual ideals of chivalry by acting as champions of the Christian faith. Here's the interesting thing, something I didn't know. Uh, the spiritual nature of the crusade warfare was underlined by the fact that before every battle, a crusader had to confess his sins to a priest and take Holy Communion. So, there was an element there of uh, the priests um, instilling, you know, you know, we're, we're doing this uh, for the cause of Christ. Um, remember, there had been hundreds of stories come back of Christian pilgrims who just simply wanted to go to the Holy Land and who were mistreated by these Turks. It's of my opinion that if the Turks had simply let them go to the Holy Land and do what they needed to do and leave, Crusades probably wouldn't have gotten started. That's just a theory of mine. But, you know, for some people it was about you know, power and wanting to gain control of the Holy Land. But for a lot of people, it was like, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're Christians, Jerusalem is the home of our faith, and we want to be able to go there in peace. So, I don't necessarily think of that as a bad motive. So, before people want to bash, you know, those that participated in the Crusades, you know, understand there were there were multiple motives for why people did what they did. <coughs> yes, it's true. The, the Pope at the time was interested in securing his place as the Pope. But now let's look at the four different crusades. The first crusade took place from 1096 to 1099. Um. 
the vast majority of those folks that participated came from Western Europe. Okay. And so the military, page 206, the military results of the First Crusade were the restoration of Western Asia Minor to Byzantine rule and the setting up of four independent crusader states in Syria and Palestine, the country of Edessa, the Principality of Antioch, the county of Tripolis, and the kingdom of Jerusalem. They are often called the Latin kingdoms because their rulers belong to the Latin-speaking Catholic Church. The jewel of the Latin kingdoms was Jerusalem. Godfrey of Bouillon was offered the title King of Jerusalem, but he refused to wear a crown of gold in the city where his lord had worn a crown of thorns. Okay, that's kind of cool. Instead, he took a more lowly title, Defender of the Holy Tomb. Godfrey died a year later in 1100, was succeeded by his brother Baldwin, who did take the title of King of Jerusalem and reigned until 1118, enlarging his kingdom by capturing cities like Caesarea in 1101 and Beirut in 1110. Here's the problem. The creation of, this is on page 207, the creation of these Latin crusader states did far more than the schism of 1054 to breed real practical division between Eastern Orthodox and Western Catholic Christians. <coughs> I need to drink some water. So, So they, they managed to take control of Jerusalem for a little while. However, the fall of the Latin kingdom of Edessa to a Turkish army in 1144 gave rise to the Second Crusade. Pope Eugenius III was proclaimed, proclaimed it, but the real force behind the Second Crusade was Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, who lived 1090-1153. Uh, he was one of the brightest spiritual stars in the entire uh, Middle Ages. It is... Um, <clears throat> he at one point was a monk. The interesting thing about Bernard was he was a disciple of August Augustine of Hippo, setting out the chief features of Augustinian doctrine on in his treatise on grace and free will. Bernard wrote several books, which many have regarded as spiritual masterpieces on the Christian life, on loving God, steps of humility and pride, and sermons on the Song of Solomon. So, Interestingly, Bernard and um, Peter Ablard had uh, some disagreements, I'll just say. It said that Bernard had a prolonged and famous controversy with Peter Abelard. Abelard was a great intellectual and great sinner of his day. <laughs> Thousands flocked to his theology lectures in Paris until the scandal of his love affair with young pupil Heloise became public. So, yeah, he, um, Shouldn't have went there. 
page 212. Bernard's reputation as a preacher, writer, and founder of the monasteries was so, so far flung, he was in constant demand for advice. It had been said of Bernard that in his solitude he governed all the churches of the West. Bernard's counsel was sought from the appointment of bishops and other high dignitaries in the church. His influence scaled new heights in the 1130s when the cardinals elected two rival popes, Innocent II and Anacletus II. Bernard supported Innocent and toured Western Europe campaigning on his behalf. Bernard's offensive swung the Catholic nations decisively behind Innocent, and in 1134, Bernard and Innocent entered Rome together, where Innocent was enthroned as the true pope. Bernard took back from him from Italy to Clairvaux a young man named Bernard, who became the older Bernard's favorite disciple. In 1145, this younger Bernard became Pope Eugenius III. Bernard of Clairvaux's sway reached its pinnacle since Eugenius retained all his affection for his old master and consulted him frequently. Bernard wrote a spiritual handbook for Eugenius, which he warned him against becoming so involved in a thousand and one tasks and affairs that he forgot himself and drifted to the hardness of heart. Remember, it was the fall of the Latin kingdom of Odessa to a Turkish army in 1144 that gave rise to the Second Crusade. Um, and of course, there was, you know, Bernard was out there preaching about rescuing the kingdom of Jerusalem. Um, <sighs> trying to... Uh, the Third Crusade was from 1189 to 1192. After the failure of the Second Crusade, the disunited Muslims of the Middle East began to find their unity again. A brilliant Kurdish general called Saladin, uh, who lived from 1137 to 1193, took control of Egypt, and by 1186 his empire surrounded the Kingdom of Jerusalem. He crushed the Latin army in the Battle of Hattin in July 1187 and captured Jerusalem. The West controlled the city from 1099 to 1187. Fortunately, Saladin was more merciful than the Crusaders had been when they took Jerusalem and he allowed its conquered Christian inhabitants to leave peacefully. Saladin was a just and wise ruler whose standards of conduct often put the Crusaders to shame. Okay. Um, the whole West was shocked by the fall of Jerusalem. It's said that Pope Gregory VIII uh, died of grief, but not before proclaiming the Third Crusade. And so, they, um, you know, it was it's really about Jerusalem. That is, that's what it's really about. Um, both Christians, Muslims, and Jews all claim that the start of their religion um, or their, that their religion is tied to the city of Jerusalem. And it's it's interesting to see this conflict <sighs> because had the um, the Turks initially allowed the the Christian uh, pilgrims 
to go on their pilgrimage, go to Jerusalem, do what they needed to do and to leave, we wouldn't have had this problem. By the way, I just, it's a side note, I made a New Year's resolution to drink more water, and I would encourage you to do the same, because I feel a whole lot better. Okay, the Fourth Crusade, 1202 to 1204. Um, Pope Innocent III proclaimed the Fourth Crusade. This time the crusading soldiers were entirely French, so they intended to conquer Egypt from the Muslims, but they were being ferried there in ships provided by the Italian trading Republic of Venice, and Venice insisted as part of the payment that the French first conquer all for them the city of Zara in Dalmatia, which is modern Croatia. Zara had recently seceded from the Venetian Empire and joined the Catholic Kingdom of Hungary. So, um, the Fourth Crusade began with the Crusaders shedding the blood of fellow Catholics as they stormed and captured Zara. Innocent III was outraged and excommunicated both the French and the Venetians. He eventually restored the French Crusaders to the Church on their professions of repentance, but he refused to lift the sentence of the Venetians. The Crusade therefore continued as a sort of unholy alliance between the Catholic French and the excommunicated Venetians. So, the problem is, is, as they're moving their way towards Jerusalem, you know, Pope Innocent III had told these crusaders not to fight the Byzantines. But they ignored Innocent. They went to Constantinople and disposed the Byzantine Empire and placed Alexius on the throne. <laughs> so, when Alexius could not keep his lavish promises of payment, the French and Venetians besieged and captured Constantinople in 1204. Amid scenes of appalling violence, the triumphant crusaders looted the Byzantine capitals of fabulous treasures. It was mostly the Venetians, not the French. French noble Baldwin of Flanders became emperor of a new Latin kingdom of Constantinople. Other French nobles shared out large parts of the Byzantine Empire amongst themselves. New Catholic rulers of Byzantine set up a Western Catholic patriarch of Constantinople and made Orthodox Church subject to the Pope. Um... It says here, the Fourth Crusade was one of the darkest episodes in church history, or Christian history. For the first time, a crusading army fought against fellow Christians, both Catholics and Zara, and Orthodox in Constantinople, simply for material gain. The Byzantine received a mortal wound, which it never really recovered, even though the Byzantines recaptured Constantinople from the Latins in 1261. An enduring legacy of deep hatred for the Western Catholic Church was left among the Eastern Orthodox. They talk about other minor crusades that happened afterwards. Um, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into detail, but uh, here was um, three different um, 
military slash monastic orders. They were the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem, the Knights of the Temple, and the Teutonic Knights. These orders combined a monastic way of life with a warrior code of chivalry, the members were the monks and knights at the same time. The purpose was to transport pilgrims to the Holy Land to give them shelter and protection while they were there and to do battle with the Muslim Turks. So we know um, <clears throat> um, was the Knights of the Temple were founded in 1118. Their name came from the base near the site of the Jerusalem Temple. And their monastic rule was written by none other than Bernard of Clairvaux in 1128. They were often called the Templars. So we're somewhat familiar with, with them today. Um, the effects of the Crusades. Um... Number one, it heightened the prestige and influence of the papacy of the, in the West. So, excuse me, it is, it is late. I need to wrap up. Uh, they encouraged the use of indulgences, which the popes could pardon all the temporal penalties of sin. And of course, you know, the popes would use indulgences to raise money to build new buildings, and it really turned into something ugly. I'm not saying it was ever scriptural, but it's just not a good idea. Uh, the Crusades established the idea and practice of using a religious war to destroy the enemies of the Catholic Church. The papacy would soon be using the Crusades against heretical or dissenting groups within Western Christian some um, they helped us, the development of strong monarchies in the Western Europe. So they inflicted lasting damage on the relationships between the Eastern Orthodox and the Western Catholic Christianity. Now that one's yeah, this a small schism between the two sides and it became a much larger one because um, especially that fourth crusade that was not a good thing uh, they left a lasting legacy of bitterness and hatred between Christians and Muslims prior to the crusades Byzantine Christians and Muslims had fought each other often enough but they had a genuine respect for each other Nicholas Mysticus one of the greatest patriarchs of Constantinople Said two empires, the Muslims and the Byzantines, surpass all other empires on earth like two great lights in the heavens. For this reason alone, if for no other, they ought to be partners and brothers. Although we are separated in our ways of life, our customs, and in our worship, we ought to be we ought not to be completely divided. So that is chapter five, folks. Um, we're gonna um, let me look here, kind of give you an idea of what we'll. Um, chapter six is actually going to be about uh, Russia and Orthodoxy in uh, amongst the Slavs. 
that ought to be interesting. Um, I knew a little bit about the Crusades, um, how the <laughs> Russian Orthodox Church got started. Um, I have to admit, I don't know a lot about it, but thankfully I have the book. <laughs> so um, anyway, thank you for, for listening. Um, I promise I will try to be more uh, diligent about doing the podcast on a regular basis. So until next week, have a great, great day. And um, once again, thank you for listening.